0: Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space.
1: And here's your host, Avery Carl.
2: This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. If you're interested in buying a short-term rental in one of the top vacation markets in America, just go to theshorttermshop.com and click get connected with an agent. If you purchase a home with the shop, you'll have access to all of our client only benefits such as training on how to manage your short-term rental. So we'll teach you everything you need to know from how to set up your Airbnb and Burbo listings to how to use the property management software that you'll need to streamline your business all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners, handy people, etc. We've taught thousands of people just like you how to buy and manage their vacation homes from anywhere in the world. So head on over to theshorttermshop.com and click get connected with an agent to get started. I do have to mention that we're brokered by EXP, or else I get in trouble. We'll see you guys over there. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Short Term Show. Today we got a super cool guest. We're gonna be talking about unique stays. Uh Obviously, a lot of just general short term rental talk, future of short term rentals, but he's got some really cool, unique stays that I think is going to, they're going to resonate with a lot of you because I hear a lot of you wanting to do similar things. So without further ado, I will introduce Alex Jarbo. Alex, how's it going?
0: Good. Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Cool. So why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in the real estate industry?
0: yeah absolutely. So uh, I, I served in the Marine Corps for five years. my last uh, my last year in the Marine Corps, I just started picking up every type of book, uh, business related uh, real estate related, started with the bigger pockets books, uh, some of the the very first bigger pockets books. and then um I had originally joined a flipping mentorship while I was still in the Marine Corps. And uh, I was doing like a group coaching call, uh, like over the phone at that time, uh, with with the gentleman that owned that uh, coaching program. And he had mentioned that all of his like long term stuff, like that he owned outside of flipping, was short term rentals. And this is back in 2015. And uh, so that really, my ears really perked when I heard that. And I got him on a one on one call. And he he had just like taught me on how to choose a market and how to how to analyze short term rentals because. At that time, I mean, there was barely any books on vacation rental, short-term rentals. There was like one book, I think, uh, Vacation Rental by Owner. But uh, so that, um, uh, he helped me. I I essentially told him, I'm really open to, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan, but I was like, I'm really open to going anywhere. And um, so we, we had looked at four or five different markets and I, I thought Asheville, North Carolina was just a really cool market like it just looked really cool. Um so that's where I decided to to move to. So the day I got out of the military, uh moved directly to here, got my real estate license, started working as a broker for a couple of years. Um and then during that time I was looking for I got into a couple of rental arbitrage deals. Um and then during that time I was also looking for a vacation rental for myself and what I realized really quickly was at that time everything was either way out of my price range or it was in my price range but it just it didn't I didn't feel like it was going to do well as a short term rental, maybe as a long term rental, not necessarily a short term rental. So my very first real estate deal that I owned outside of the rental arbitrage deals um, was a 800 square foot, a frame that we own to this day, and it was a new construction, ground up development from nothing. Um, One turned into two really quickly, two turned into four, brought on some investor capital for some friends. um, And then that that slowly spiraled into uh, like uh, teaming up with funds to do some larger deals. And then today we're either developing purchasing or managing close to 40 million dollars worth of short-term rentals just in this market alone
2: so all in the Asheville area
0: yeah all in the county yeah because you're not technically allowed to do the short-term rentals in in, in, the in the city but they're all permitted properly the larger properties require different types of like permits which are relatively easy to get um but so all of them are permitted like just with bringing on investor capital both from friends and obviously larger investors it's just Made sure those boxes were ticked when we got into those larger deals.
2: Okay. And what would you say? Well, let's break down that 40 million. So are those all single families? Are they all cabins? Do you have, or any of them multifamily, anything like that? What is it? Or some of them are unique stays, I know. So
0: yeah. So the biggest one is the $20 million one that we're acquiring right now. Um, that one's 20 units, um, and it's a it's a treehouse community here in the area. It's, in my opinion, the the top hospitality investment opportunity in the country right now. Um, it's beautiful, just uh, sits on, it sits in an HOA, which I mean, I've coached thousands of students for short-term rentals, and we usually advise don't invest in an HOA for the most part. Um, but this one's built into the HOA. So that's the big one. Um, and the other ones are are mainly just single family houses that we've built that are unique in some sort of ways. We did acquire a bed and breakfast this year that uh, came, uh, it was a historic house that came with six cabins and 12 acres. Um, that one was our big acquisition this year um outside of the 20 million dollar one and the rest of them that we've developed are either a frames or cabins like some some sort of like log cabin we just did a couple modular cabins with a company that's local here that was a really cool experience um but yeah it's it's split between cabins and just that unique stays it's it's all across the board we have 400 square foot tiny houses all the way up to our large historic house which is 5500 square foot with a commercial kitchen yeah Okay.
2: So a lot, a lot of questions here. So let's talk about the, the tree houses because everybody, you know, that always catches people's ears when they say, when they hear, Oh, I want to do a tiny home community. I want to do glamping. I want to do blah, 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 all these crazy yeah. things. And it sounds easy to do, but it's not. And no, no. I would like to hear uh or a I, I personally like at the moment in my investing career have very little patience for the tedium of things like that. But I yeah. I know that a lot of our listeners are really interested in that type of thing. So and I think that a lot of them might not have it the full picture on what it actually takes to do something like that. So I'd love for you to explain that to us.
0: Yeah, I mean, so uh, I I don't have any glamping units. They're they're mainly like the 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 luxury type, like when you're talking about the tree houses, the luxury, the ones that we're purchasing they're they have full kitchens, they have full bathrooms. Um, it's, it's a house in the trees. Um, and for people who are wanting to do it outside of just obviously having a good team behind you, like a good GC that knows what they're doing. Most of the tree houses or that I see today are mainly houses on stilts that are marketed as tree houses, which is completely fine. Most of the properties that we're purchasing in that community are like that. The reason why that's done that way is because you if if you're not doing everything cash, um you can't get financing on a property like that. Um or it's going to be incredibly difficult to get financing on a property like that. If you have a house on stilts that's say off the side of a cliff, um that that is obviously engineered and done right and then marketed as a treehouse. Those those properties get co like easily get COs from any type of city. Um so that that's the biggest thing stepping into that is like defining what a tree house is. Just imagine like a house in Florida, just that's on stilts, except it's in the mountains or it's it's off of like a, some like some sort of drop off uh, here, like here, I, I say the mountains because we're, we're in a mountain market. Um, so that, that's probably the biggest thing. And then obviously just having a GC that's built something like that before it's some sort of house on stilts. Um, when it comes to financing the properties, it's relatively simple. I mean, it's just like any type of short term rental that you're going to finance. Um, these are counted as single family houses, if I had to guess, in most jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's just like you're building a normal, like, I mean, these houses are anywhere between what four to 700 square foot total, but the the cash flows from them are astronomical compared to anything else.
2: So when you're developing these things, are you having to, like, you can't just buy an unrestricted piece of land and start plopping these things all over. You have to go through some permitting processes and and subdividing and all that. So can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, so subdividing that that's gonna be based off of whatever city or county you're in. Um, We're very, I mean, obviously, like I said, from the beginning, we're very open with the county and the city. We go to them when we're in due diligence period, when we're purchasing a piece of land, just to make sure that everyone is on the same page of how we can develop this piece of property. I've talked to hundreds of students that are just afraid to even get a short-term rental permit, let alone go to the county. I mean, we we had a board meeting just this morning uh, with our county, with one of our other properties. Um, so yeah, it's like we we get it under contract. We obviously know, I lean pretty heavily on the GC, the engineer, the architects to sort of tell me what I can and can't do on the properties. But with me being operating in this market for the last six, seven years, I have a general idea of how permitting obviously works and if something's going to work in the area. Um, but once, we, once we're comfortable with that, we get it under contract, then we're obviously going to the county. Um, and having either a zoom meeting just like this, or we're having a sit down meeting with them, um, which I prefer honestly, as a sit down meeting, just to go through our plan and just being really open with them.
2: Yeah. And I think that's the key is making sure that you're doing all that stuff before, if you've never done it before, before you close on the property, because what you don't want to do is close and then realize, oh, I've got 20 acres, but they're only going to give me a septic permit for three bedrooms. And I'd planned on having exactly. 20 of these.
0: So yeah, definitely just putting a contingency in the contract if you feel comfortable asking for that. I mean, that's that's I mean, we've done that before.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so let's talk about the difference between a tree house like unique stay versus a comparable just, you know, maybe one bedroom cabin. What what yeah. is the difference in income or returns look like there?
0: let's go off of that very first one we built so that that a frame wasn't a treehouse it's just an an a frame that very first one so that one that one's consistently so I put in we we got a construction loan at the time it was a second home loan because sure I couldn't find any short-term rental loans back then Um, but uh, we did a construction loan Uh, it was only 10 percent down and then furnishings were another about 15 grand Uh, plus holding costs you're probably looking at I've just rounded it off and just said 40 grand um, all in that one after debt service uh last year did it netted fifty three thousand dollars. just that one and that one is a technically a one-bedroom a-frame um so that one does fifty three thousand. dollars we have another one-bedroom log cabin that does very similar to that about like maybe like 45 43 dollars net um net now the difference between that and the tree houses is about double um these these properties net anywhere between 80 to 90 grand uh depending on what your debt looks like on them um but like that, i always say that very first a frame we built prior granted that was prior to covid so our our numbers are probably anywhere between 20 to 30% higher in, in development fees um but i mean if i put 40 grand into it and it made just last year 53 grand i mean that i mean that's over 100% um again granted that that's not going to be like that everywhere um but i mean you're still looking at some pretty insane returns and the way you're a, the reason why you're able to get a property that do does that, mo- that much is because there's no wasted square footage when you're building out these properties. Every single square foot is taken into account compared to purchasing, say like an 18, like say like a 1500 square foot cabin where there might be some wasted space because initially it wasn't intended to be a short-term rental.
2: Right. So you're purpose building these to be short-term rentals and, you know, not, I think a lot of cabins in a lot of markets maybe were built to be second homes and to be like, Definitely. you know, comfortable and not necessarily that a short-term rental wouldn't be built to be comfortable, but they're built for a different purpose than being a rental and optimizing space. Like maybe the closets are too big and you don't need to have that big of closets in we a short term. So um yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we we have a, we have our luxury log cabin that has like two horses on it that we didn't build. We just purchased it. I mean, one of the master bedrooms is like as big as one of our units and it just doesn't need to be that big. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally Totally get that. It's definitely different when you're building specifically for an investment than when you're building like what you want to live in for sure. Exactly. So you're looking at a $20 million, you said 20 unit, $20 million treehouse. Okay. So I have a lot of questions about this. Let's first start with financing. How do you find financing for something like that?
0: Yeah, so this is actually the first time I ever talked about this piece of it. We convinced the owners. Uh, now, granted, I have an appraisal done by CBRE, which is one of the top financial services, real estate financial services firms here in the country. So I didn't just pull that number out of thin air. We we did a really deep analysis of it, um, and uh, we have an appraisal that appraised at that uh, just over that twenty million. But uh, with that being said, the financing piece of it um, was owner. We do we negotiated an owner financing deal with the owners um so it's owner financing at 60% to them at 5 years at a 30 year amortization and then the other side to that is we're raising the capital to to fill in that 40% plus some holding costs as well
2: yeah okay and what is your guys kind of back of the napkin assessment on what this should be able to produce or maybe you know what has it been producing since it's already a short term rental
0: Package. Yeah, so there's seven there's seven units there that are already built and they, they're they fully stabilized. And then there's another 13 plus an event center or wedding uh, event center slash wedding venue. We own another wedding venue in this market already. So we understand that business um, and how to how to manage short term rentals with a vacation uh, with a event center. Um, but those uh, those first seven, I mean, they're they've done phenomenally. Um, I mean, they, they've done six, seven figures, just off, low seven figures just off those seven units alone. Um, back of the napkin, I mean, we can talk about like the the once everything is built and fully stabilized, um to our investors, I mean we're they're looking at a a cash on cash of like eighteen percent a year. um and then for the entire deal, if you include the owner financing, I mean, our debt to service or our debt service coverage ratio is over three. It's like three point two one. um we're looking at like gross revenues of four point two million uh, on the top after debt service, all expenses about like two point one million off the for after the first year, yeah.
2: Okay, awesome. And these are, they're all in one little area, right? They're not dispersed out in different. Okay. They're,
0: on, they're on 17 acres. Yep. Yeah. So it's just okay. like one large area. Yep.
2: Yeah. Okay. And how how do you find a deal like this? Because this seems like, you know, something crazy you don't see every day. So how do you find a unique short-term rental deal like this?
0: Yeah. So this property has been, it's gone viral multiple times on social media, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube has about like 40 to 45 million views across all those channels um, I knew it was in my market ever since I started. I think they had built the first one when I had moved here. And um, we had just closed on that historic house with the six cabins. And I had decided, hey, I'm just going to slow down just to focus on my properties here and just to to get them stabilized. And then I'll get back into purchasing. Um, and I told my agent that I was like, hey, I'm, I'm licensed here, but I, I use an agent that's way better than me. And I was like, hey, uh, I'm I'm good right now. Like I don't need to because she's constantly sending me deals, and I was like, "But if this one ever hits the market, please let me know." And my wife and I had decided then, like a couple days prior to that, that like we were done. So like my agent's really good friends with my wife, and we're like, "Hey, it's like we're done." Blah blah blah. And then I was like, "But if it's this deal, I want to look at it um, if it ever hits the market." And she brought it to me like two days later, and I had to then go (laughs) back to my wife. Had to then go back to my wife, and I was like, "Hey." I know we talked about it, but I was like, she never comes with me listing appointments. I was like, just come with me on this one. Because it's it's like, it's like next level. So she fell in love with it. Um, but yeah, my agent, I mean, just talking to my agent, just like, hey, this one ever hits the market. just so let me know. It didn't hit the market. We got it off market. Um, she just reached out to the owners because she had worked with them in the past with a different deal um, that they were developing. But uh, yeah, it's just putting the feelers out uh, for uh, your either real estate agent or whatever market you're in. I mean, that's the best way to do it is talk to a high-level real estate agent that has a really good team and that has a good network and isn't afraid to reach out to off-market deals. You never know. They These owners never, I mean, they'll, they'll tell you flat out if you ever speak to them, like they they never consider selling the property. There's just, we, we came at them with a pretty strong offer. I mean, we, we've been negotiating this thing since February of this year. Um, so it's been over six months of just back and forth. Um, but yeah, you never know. You just have to put the feelers out.
1: Sell with the short-term shop. Are you looking to sell your short-term rental or even 1031 into a different property? Our team of realtors will work hard to get you the most for your investment. We are experts in our field and would love to earn your business. When it's time to sell, call the shop. TheShortTermShop.com That's TheShortTermShop.com Brokered by eXp This episode is brought to you by the premier short-term rental Facebook group, Short-Term Rental Long-Term Wealth. We have nearly 50,000 members. This is the biggest independently owned and operated SCR Facebook group, and it has been curated by yours truly, Cashflow Carl. Join us on Facebook. Search the groups for Short-Term Rental Long-Term Wealth. That's Short-Term Rental Long-Term Wealth on Facebook.
2: Yeah, yeah. and. Real estate really is a relationships business. And a lot of times your agent is the best source of that, especially if they're one that's been doing it for a while, who specializes in short-term rentals. A lot of times their past client base is a great resource for you for stuff that is not on the market, just like what happened here. So she dealt with this person before and she thought, well, let me give them a call and see if they might be interested in selling and they happen to be. So that's a really good example of of how important relationships are in real estate.
0: And just, just having like a, I've always said, like, like I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm licensed here. It's like, don't, don't go out and just hire your cousin that just got the real estate license. Like go find someone that has an established team. Cause you're buying into their network more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, when it comes to stuff like that, obviously their expertise and their entire team as well. But like, You are buying into an agent's network when you're when you're deciding on who to work with.
2: Hundred percent. So I'm licensed in Tennessee, and for a while I was buying a bunch of long term rentals in Chattanooga. So I could have done my own deals in Chattanooga. I think we did. I think we ended up doing like twenty five there. I could have done it all myself, but I don't live in Chattanooga. I don't know Chattanooga. I don't know all of those little nuanced things. So I paid an agent, um, or you know how how the normal normal percentage works and uh I never ask him for a referral fee still don't because when he gets that deal from a past client usually I want to be his first call I don't want to be the one that he's like well she wants to she wants me to give her twenty five percent let me try this other guy first no I want to pay him I will pay him extra to call me first with the good deals so Absolutely. I think that that's really
0: valuable yeah just uh, like really showing that agent that you're a closer and then you're actually serious and you're not just wasting their time yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if so you're kind you kind of have a corner on the market it on unique stays in the Asheville area especially if you get this one done what if? What about a new investor who's like, man, you know, I really want to do some unique stuff. I don't just want to buy the same old beach house or the same old cabin that there's thousands of out there on the OTAs. What advice do you have for them for finding unique stuff? And we've already talked about relationships, but is there anything characteristics-wise that you look at when you're looking for markets or properties?
0: I love mountain markets that aren't historically known as like ski resort areas. Um, Asheville's really good. The strategy of investing close to a national park, national forest, I think that one's always gonna be like always gonna be a phenomenal strategy um, because there's a built in customer base there. So that's, that's market when you're looking at actual properties. If you're developing properties, I mean, just go through Airbnb and look at what is popular. What are the unique stays in your area? And um, either model them or do something similar to that. I mean, you're not really stealing an idea. When I first started, there was maybe two, three A-frames in this market. Now there's 20. It hasn't affected my occupancy in any way. Um, and just honestly, like I have a Pinterest board, Instagram, screenshot, save everything um, and just pull ideas from different places. I mean, social media will feed you that stuff once you start liking it and start looking at it more. Um, so it's just like putting together something that you think that would do well on social media is is a very, I mean, that. This property and another property that we have, the historic house, I mean, social media is a big part of our strategy. Um, And and then redirecting people to direct booking sites is like that, that feeds into that whole circle. Um, But people, when you're looking to get into a specific market, finding a market, again, like I said, I like mountain markets, because they tend to be a little bit less seasonal. Um, Like nothing gets uh, more picturesque than a cabin in the woods in the winter. But there's also obviously our high season here, summer and leaf season. So that's number one with the market. The other side is just building something that you think, building something that's an experience in itself outside of the city that the guest is going to be visiting is what I've always said to that. Um, And if if you're not looking to go national, I always say that there's thousands of these pocket markets throughout the whole country. I I use the two examples of on the East Coast, you have New York, on the West Coast, you have like San Diego. San Diego, people will drive up to Joshua Tree every weekend like to, to take an extended weekend vacation. And then people are driving up to upstate New York all the time. Um so it's like if you're if you if you're in a busy metro city and you're like I don't know where to invest but I don't want to go across the country. Think of where people are taking extended weekend vacations to in your market because that's probably going to be a really good like I call them pocket markets but a really good vacation market to put one of these properties in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a great great place to start. So, I want to hear more about this historic house. So, how old when when you say historic how old of a house is that?
0: 1885 is what the plaque says.
2: (laughs) Oh, nice. So it's on the registry.
0: Yeah, it's on the registry. Yeah.
2: So I find that really interesting. So what kinds of things do you run into with houses that are that old compared to new construction? Because those are kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. I know the foundations are completely different back then than what they are now. So what are some things to watch out for? Because that can be, I think, a really cool market, especially if you're in a really old city. And yeah. there's just some. Th- I, I see a lot of people like on bigger pockets and stuff say never buy anything older than X. And I, I don't think that's correct. Like this, I think that. Yeah, it right. It's like really this is
0: 150 years old. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I have a, actually a 12 unit apartment building that was built in 1900. And yeah, it's got some things, but it's really cool and it rents for more than a comparable. Newer build, like '80s build, because the units are all a little bit different. They're really big. They're really cool. So I like that old house niche, but a lot of people say stay away from it. So I'm really interested to hear, as somebody who has historic and brand new construction, what your thoughts
0: are. So this is a strategy I talked to a couple people about uh, at a couple conferences because they they had experience in the the historic house area. And what I realized with purchasing this one this year was, um, so it's a historic house. 12 acres, beautiful mountain views around it, and then there's six other cabins on the property as well. Um, It was a bit of a learning curve to even know how to manage a property like that big, because I learned that there are like, there's a completely different way on how to get that property booked. But outside of the maintenance side of it, um, one, if there's a if you're when you're approaching someone to purchase a property like this, they usually they have a maintenance person on staff or someone that really understands the property it's, it was very important to me to make sure that person came with the property. So obviously talking to them once we got it under contract. So that's step one is like, the the gentleman that I took talked, uh, that is still with that property has been with the property for the last like four or five owners, he's been with the property 20 plus years. So he's going to be able to tell you outside of your inspections, or your due diligence, what you're doing, like what you're doing to close on the property, like what the property needs that the current owners aren't doing. If that person isn't there, you're obviously like you just said, you're relying on your inspections. Foundation's a big piece. We did reinforce the foundation in that property once we took it over and that was in our budgets. Um, but what uh, um, there's a, a really cool strategy that we just stumbled upon by, like I said, talking to other people in uh, this space, which is most of the people that own these, the historic house was a bed and breakfast that we converted just in, into a normal luxury rental. Um there are a lot of retirees right now that are wanting to retire that manage bed and breakfast that are ready to sell. And in my opinion they're ready to sell them below market, which is what we got this property for. Um so that that's a outside of maintenance. That's a very powerful strategy for people to get into is like identifying these bed and br- like these mom and pop like owners and the, of these bed and breakfasts and if the numbers pencil out so if they're in a more rural market, they I guarantee they'll have some sort of other lodging accommodation um where you can rent those out separately, which is what we do. And then we also when I said events and weddings, that one is the property that we have, like we do weddings and events through. Um, so yeah, outside of maintenance, I mean, there it, a lot of the a lot of the plumbing and electrical is newer. Um, and then we just have our maintenance person that takes care of a big portion of that it is on well. Um, so there is uh, like, there's a, a lot, um, I thought I could just put a well filter in there and be good to go. But we slowly we really quickly learned that like just a full blown whole house filtration system in a house that old is, is very very important um so that was probably the biggest hit that we took the biggest learning lesson that we took uh from that property um but yeah i mean these properties i mean we don't have time to i don't have time to go into them like right now in terms of identifying and purchasing them but the, for people who are looking to get into it that that is a crazy niche because people these properties are gorgeous um I, I worked out of that one when we took it over like that was my office for about a month and I just looked forward to going there because it was a beautiful dining room all the walls were original um and you could just feel the history in the property itself I mean 1885 that's like one of the oldest houses in this area so yeah
2: yeah that's I mean that's extremely old so when you're buying a house that old, is there any specific kind of insurance anything you have to do differently for a house that age?
0: So I I don't know the house that age. I know that one, if you do any type of renovations, there is um anything on the exterior, you can't add anything to any without a massive laundry list of checklists that you have to go through with the National Historic Registry. If you don't go through that, you run the potential of losing that that plaque, which in my opinion is like a, a feature of the a really strong feature of the property. Um we we have uh like uh the insurance company we use is called nuptials and they they insure historic houses and then also cabins uh and events uh, events and weddings that was the biggest thing why, why we took them on but yeah it is a little bit of a challenge to find um that should be in your due diligence if you're purchasing properties like this is to talk to enough insurance agents that have uh experience in insuring these types of properties i just mentioned one of them nuptials is a really good one to go through but there's a and if you're in a vacation rental market there's enough like local Uh, Companies to help insurance insure properties like that, especially if you're purchasing a property, um, those owners more than likely have the property insurance in place. If if it's a bed and breakfast and whatnot,
2: awesome. Well, that's that's really interesting, and I hadn't heard that about a lot of bed and breakfast owners being ready to retire and sell. But that that does make sense now that I think about it. All right, so. We are to the end of the show. We have three questions that we ask every single guest. They're all the same. But first, before we do that, is there anything that you feel like we didn't cover in terms of unique stays, bed and breakfast, historic, tree houses, all the things that you do, basically?
0: Uh, No, I mean, we're we're in the middle of a... um... A, a capital raise for that treehouse community. And I'm sure it's going to be in the show notes somewhere, but it's just, uh, we built it, in, Boostly, shout out to Mark, uh, built the entire website out for uh, for just this deal by itself. Like we built an entire website just for this one the one investment. But you guys can check that out at uh, openatlas.investments um, and it'll take you directly to whatever, like all the videos that we shot to the property.
2: Okay, so openatlas.investments, that's the one that you're raising capital for right now?
0: Yep. That's the treehouse community. Yep.
2: Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. All right. Well, on to the last three questions. First, what advice would you give 20 year old Alex?
0: I'd say just, you don't know what you don't know. So just have a really good team behind you. Like uh, understand that you're, you're going to make mistakes, um, that, that comes with it, but, uh, just putting a really good team behind you. Um, reading a lot, uh, reading a lot, especially now with, I mean, your, your book's phenomenal. I mean, I, I've learned so much from your book. It's just, there's so many short-term rental vacation for people who are looking to get into vacation rentals. There's so many good resources out there, both free and paid, whether it be coaching books, just Instagram channels, YouTube, um, just educate yourself and just have a good team behind you.
2: Totally, totally great advice. Uh, along the same lines, what advice would you give a new investor who's looking to get started today, which is Q3 of 2023 for whoever's listening, if you're listening in the future. So it's a really weird time in real estate. So what advice do you have for them?
0: Understand that if you're getting into vacation rentals, that you are operating a business, you are not operating an Airbnb. You, you that, that like, understand that you, like, I look at Airbnb, VRBO, booking.com, some of our properties are in Expedia. Those are just marketing channels for your business. You, you should be focused on Multi-channel, but also building out a direct booking site of guests that you have full control over, um, that, that's that's sort of where hospitality is going in my, I mean, it's already happening, but the, that's where it's going the next like five years, um, is just being able to control your guests, but also going multi-platform um, and then having the, t- the team to support all that.
2: Also really great advice. And last one, what's your favorite book that's impacted your mindset?
0: Mindset would probably be the one thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. Um, I mean, I, I've used that for the last like five years on how to like structure your day and focus on what you need to be focused on and whatnot. And it's a short little book too. A lot of like pictures it. in that book. Which I like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. So if people want to follow you, perhaps invest in this treehouse deal, where can they do that? Where can they follow you?
0: I'm the most active uh, on bigger pockets and LinkedIn, uh, mainly LinkedIn. Uh, so, you guys just look me up, Alex Jarbo, um, and just you guys want to request. I mean, I, I go through all my requests every morning, um, or that's, that's where to connect with me on uh, just any questions you guys would have. And then also just in the bigger pockets threads and whatnot. And I haven't written anything this year, but last year I wrote 10 articles for the blog. So, that did really well. So, met a, met a lot of really cool people through there.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for coming on. Learned a lot about uh, unique stays, historic houses, and uh, we'll catch you later.